Amen and amen and amen. Welcome to Vertical Life Church. My name is Joey. I'm the lead pastor here. For those of you that are new, we want to say welcome. And uh, for those that are online, if you didn't know this church, we are streaming online on the YouTube. Uh, I call it the YouTube. That way it bridges all generational gaps. You know, the young people know it as YouTube and the older people don't know what it is. So we call it the YouTube to specify specifically what we're talking about. But we are, uh, we are on the YouTube streaming, and so if you do miss a service, you can not only go to the YouTube and, and watch, as long as there are no technical difficulties, it'll be streaming there, and it'll be uh, uploaded on our uh, YouTube page, as well as going to our website at www.vlchurch.tv forward slash messages online, and you can go and listen to um, all of our series that we preach through throughout the year, and uh, that get, gets updated regularly. A uh, couple of uh, uh, bits of information. want to update you real quick on some things happening within our church and update. Uh, over the last couple months, we've kind of been in transition, and uh, my wife, Tony, has felt the call of God to step up and become our new worship director. So she is going to be uh, leading this ragtag group of people you see on stage every week, helping organize and work with me to plan special services uh, she, God's been kind of really working in her for a long time, and I believe that she has the ability and uh, grace to do that well and help lead our worship team in the future. And with that, she had been doing the, the kids' ministry. At the same time, God pulled her out. You know, a lot of times we feel like, you know, when we have transitions or something happens, we have these gaps. We wonder how God's going to step in and fill that in. Well, uh, Katie Moyer has decided that she is feeling God leading her to step up and take over the V-Life Kids Ministry. So God is providing all of those areas of ministry, and I believe she's going to do an exceptional job there with our kindergarten through fifth graders. So if you see either one of those today, make sure to congratulate them and, and thank them for following God's uh, call in their life. Uh, today we are in week three of the series that we started a couple weeks ago called Hope. And uh, as I was praying this morning, I kind of have a little prayer time before service. I believe the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he said, declare to your church today, today is a day of salvation, today is a day of healing, for today is a day of hope. And I don't know who needs this message today. I know I do. But I know that we walk in here week after week, and we have struggles and trials and things that we wade through, and we just need something to kind of redirect us to focus on God and, and the positive things in life. And so I believe that if you're here today and you were just having a hard time waking up today, this message is for you. Hope is something that every one of us needs to thrive and flourish. Every one of us. I mean, think about it. If you give up on hope, you basically scorn any possibility for there to be something positive to come out of a negative situation. Like if you're, you're searching for that dream job and, and you're, you're, you're hoping, you're sending out resumes, going interview after interview, if you give up hope on finding that dream job, what happens? Well, you stop passing out resumes. You stop going to interviews. You stop looking and try and settle for something less than what you were hoping for. If you have problems in your marriage and, and you give up hope on God working those things out, what happens? You stop trying. You start giving up and eventually... The marriage dissolves and you walk away. If you give up on your healing because of the sickness or, or, uh, or health issues that you're going through, you give up on hope, what happens? You stop praying and eventually give up treatment and maybe even succumb to your illness. Hope is a fundamental and even vital state of being for us. It provides a life-giving reality for us as human beings. Hope is a necessary thing for us. Matter of fact, in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said that he has come so that we might have life and that we could experience it abundantly or have an overflowing life. What that means is that God didn't send Christ to die on the cross and go through the horrors of the cross and come through death and rise from the dead for us just to survive. No, Jesus was sent so that we could have a way to thrive, to flourish, that we could experience blessing and then turn around and be a blessing to someone else. Hope is a fundamental need. And the mechanism that God put in motion to provide us this abundant life, this thing that Jesus came to provide, is that he uh, put into motion that his love would produce for us a strong hope who then would produce a powerful love 
that would lead us to experience him more and more each and every day because he ultimately is the source of everything we need, the source of that abundant life. So the more we, he sends out his love, the more we can experience hope, the more faith we can walk in and then learn to know and experience him more each and every day. And you and I, we all know that this world is a rough world. There's storms in every season of life. There are curveballs thrown at every turn. And that's why in this series we have been talking about hope. Hope is so necessary for us. We talked about how through Christ's finished work on the cross, we have hope for yesterday in order to overcome the things of the past, whether they be trials or mistakes. We looked at how there's hope for today through the challenges and decisions that we face just waking up to live this life. And then today, for our talk today, we're going to talk about this topic. There is hope for tomorrow. All right, participation time. Tap your neighbor on the shoulder and tell him, I'm glad you came today because there is hope for tomorrow. I'm glad you came because there is hope for tomorrow. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, we just commit this time to you. God, you said in your word that your house would be known as a house of prayer. And so we are praying and we are calling on you, God, to fill this place. And Lord, we know that because your spirit lives within us, we don't have to ask you to show up. You're already here. God, we ask that you would work in our hearts so that we don't miss what you're doing. God, that you'd open our eyes that we would see. You would open our ears that we would hear. You'd open our minds that we can understand, Father, and that there'd be nothing between you and us today. And God, that, that we would respond to your word and what is declared, God, that we would take action upon what your spirit begins to kindle and work in our hearts so that we can not only become like you, to honor you, but we can get to know you and know how to be close to you, to receive everything that we need to live that abundant life in this life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we're talking about hope for tomorrow. When I think of tomorrow, I don't just think of like eternal life. I think when we think of having hope for tomorrow, that's where our mind goes because Jesus died and rose from death so we could be forgiven of our sins. And if we place our faith and trust in Christ and trust in his, his sacrifice that we are forgiven, we're made right with God. And then when this life is over, we get to spend eternity with God forever and ever and ever experiencing unspeakable love, joy, grace, peace, comfort, everything that we cling to, we hope to in this life to overcome. You know, that, that's oftentimes what we think of when we think of hope for tomorrow. But there isn't just that kind of hope in Christ, hope for everlasting life. There is actually hope for tomorrow, like, like tomorrow, like Monday, right? There's, there is hope for tomorrow. And when I think of hope for tomorrow, I also think of like lofty goals and plans for the future. I think of visions and dreams of what could be. Now, I also work at Mott Community College in the Workforce Education Center, and part of my duties there have been a, a time or two to help in training would-be job applicants on how to be great employees, and I helped develop a curriculum uh, that helped train them with interview skills and resume writing and, and how basically to do what we would all consider basic uh, understanding of actually showing up on time to work. You know, I don't know if you knew that or not, but that's actually a learned skill, not many people realize you got to be on time. Like when they say nine, that's not 925. That, that's nine. And when you're not going to be there, you actually have to make a phone call and say, hey, I'm not coming in today. Because if you don't, you then have to apply to a new job because you lose your place of employment. Not many people know that. So we, we, had, we developed this curriculum to help basically train these basic soft skills. And, and uh, one of my favorite parts of the training is dealing with interviews and getting in the mind of employers to find out what they're thinking about when they ask you those questions that make you sweat like you've never sweat before for like the five, ten minutes you sit in front of them. And uh, in the list of the top most asked questions that an employer asks an employee in an interview, one of those questions, I'm sure you've heard it before, is this. Where do you see yourself in five years? Where do you see yourself in five years? And when I conduct interviews for our training programs, all of our participants have to go through an onboarding process, and part of that is a real-world job interview to see if they're going along, along the right career path and whether or not their, their choices are leading them to where they actually want to end up. We do this interview, and I'll ask this question, where do you see yourself in five years? And believe it or not, that question takes most people by surprise. 
because we don't normally stop and think about that far ahead. We're, we're like one day at a time people, or, or we think a couple months from now, and, but five years down the road, we don't often think about that. And so when they're trying to kind of come up with the best answer possible in the heat of the moment, they usually talk about intangibles. Like, well, I just want to be happy in five years, or I want a good job, I want a family, I, I, I want you know, to be happy, I want to make a lot of money. Not real things that you can really measure or, or things that you could really uh, say, okay, what's the pathway to get there? There are things that there, it's like the pie in the sky. I, here's, if I had to say what my life could be like in a perfect way, this is kind of a snapshot of what it would look like. Uh, and they begin to kind of think about maybe their dream job. They might be applying for a medical position, but their dream job is to own their own business in construction. So, you know, they, they think about, you know, the best possible scenario not really um, think, applying it to the decision that they're making for their career path in that moment. And when I begin to do some career counseling with them to, think, to help guide them on how to get to the dream, because that's the goal, right? To, to get to the dream, to be what I feel like I've been made to do or that God's given me a passion for, I begin to kind of dig in and find out why they're choosing different, uh, different pathway choices than what will lead them to that dream, that goal, or that vision that they have for their life. And what I discovered is that most people feel like that five-year dream, even though it seems so far away, but that five-year goal of that dream, they don't really believe like it can actually happen. They don't believe like that's something that could really take place. And what they do is they say, yeah, that, that would be great if that could happen, but I'm going to go this way. Why? Because that makes me feel more secure. So they end up making decisions to settle on less than what could then lead them to maybe a greater success later. Because it, it's hard to really look down the corridors of time and say, you know what, this is what I'm going to be doing. And it's not just hard to dream big when things are going well. It's especially hard to dream big, to have a vision for the future when life is like a living hell. When things aren't going well. And when life is difficult, it's easier to give up on dreams that we've had from even an early age. When we're constantly discouraged by the people we love or life circumstances come up and make choosing what we want to do versus what we feel like we need to do very difficult. Things that always get in the way, keeping us from taking that first step. They're things that hold us back. And because of those setbacks and those constant oppositions, we end up spending more time worrying about tomorrow out of fear than having hope for tomorrow out of faith. There's a story I relate to on many levels in the Bible. It pertains to having hope for tomorrow. We're going to look at it. It's a very familiar passage of Scripture. It uh, begins in Genesis chapter 37. We're not going to really read the whole chapter. We're just going to kind of touch on it and, and talk about the story. But here in Genesis chapter 37, we read about a young man named Joseph. Now you know why I like this story. Joseph, and if you're familiar with the kids' version, this is Joseph in the coat of many colors. If you're a drama nerd, this is Joseph in the technicolor dream coat, right? This is Joseph of the Bible. Joseph was one of 12 brothers, and he was the favorite of his father. Jacob loved him more than any other. And if you know any, anything about the story about Jacob, Jacob has an interesting story as well. Matter of fact, when he found the woman that he wanted to marry, Rachel, he was smitten with her. He was in love with her. Uh, but to, in order to get married to her, his father-in-law made him work for it. I mean, I think that's a good thing. You know, if you want to marry my daughter, you're going to have to work for it. I, I, I kind of agree with that philosophy. But he made him work for it. But then when it came time to, for the father-in-law to pay up to allow him to marry Rachel, he swindles Jacob and ends up tricking him into marrying his oldest daughter, Leah, first because he thought it was wrong that the younger would be married before the older. So he gets married to Leah and then has to work another period of time before he's able to marry Rachel. And, and so it's kind of a crazy situation. But when you read about Jacob, we see that Jacob only wanted Rachel. And it was really for one specific reason. She was easy on the eyes. She was a looker. And he didn't want Leah for a specific reason. And you were just reading Genesis chapter 29, verse 17. This is what God's word says about this situation. In verse 17, Genesis 29, it says, There was no sparkle in Leah's eyes, but Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. 
Now, I get humor in the Bible, and I think this is hilarious. This is the Word of God. This is the Spirit of God laying it on Moses' heart to write about this in his eternal Word. And here he's saying that Rachel has a beautiful figure and a lovely face. Hubba hubba, guys, right? You know what I'm talking about? This She is amazing. But that Leah had no sparkle in her eyes. In other words, that girl was hit. Right? She was beaten with the ugly stick. If there was a set of ugly stairs, she tripped and hit every step on the way down. This girl was not, didn't have nothing going for her. Right? In, in, our, in our common uh, culture, we would say that this girl had a nice personality. You know, that, that's what we would say about Leah. And uh, now before you judge me and think I'm mean and insensitive, this is God saying this, okay? Take it up with the author of the Bible. This is God saying us that Leah, mm, no, no, you know, not, not choice number one, right? But truth be told, I feel sorry for this poor girl. I do. She was married to a man that didn't want her, and now the world for all eternity has to know her as the ugly sister. How would you like that for a legacy, right? But Jacob, he's married to Leah and then finally Rachel. And as you know, that that scenario is never good in any context. doesn't matter if this was Cro-Magnon man or modern man. Two women under the same household fighting over one guy, never a good thing, right? So they're married to Jacob, and they have to deal with those circumstances, and they begin to have a major sibling rivalry. And I guess the way any rational you know, person in this situation would settle this rivalry, they decide that they were just going to see who can have more kids than the other, like that's normal, I'm going to have more kids than you, and I'll show you. You know, he'll like me more than you. And they go back and forth. And even though Rachel was the looker of the family, she was the, the hot one, Leah got the childbearing hips of the family. So she starts having way more kids than, than Rachel. But because Rachel was the one Jacob loved the most, when her firstborn son came into existence, Jacob was smitten with him, loved him more than any of the other sons that he had from Leah. Matter of fact, he made him a coat that was made of many colors, and back then it would have been very expensive to have multiple colors woven into a coat. And so uh, Jacob was just doting on him, treated him like a prince, and everyone else like a servant. So not only was there a sibling rivalry between the moms going on, but now because of the jealousy of the sons and how Jacob treated Joseph, there was a rivalry between the sons. And this didn't bode well for Joseph at all, because even though uh, he had no control over how his father was treating him versus the other sons or the rivalry that he was born into, God came to Joseph and began to give him dreams. And these dreams weren't just, you know, the crazy dreams we have when we eat Taco Bell too late at night, right? Th these were like earth-shattering, apocalyptic dreams of a, of a famine that was going to take over the land, and Joseph was going to be elevated to basically a king status in the land, and his family was going to bow at his feet. So if you can imagine the moms hating each other, the sons hating each other, and now young Joseph, wearing his nice little coat, comes to his brothers and says, hey guys, guess what? God says I'm the best, and I'm going to rule, and you're going to bow at my feet, right? So you can imagine why this, the brothers had hatred and animosity and, and vitriol for his brother so much so that to the point that they decided that they were going to kill him, that they just couldn't stand him anymore. They were going to kill Joseph, and one of the brothers kind of had, had a change of heart and felt bad. So instead of killing him, they decided to throw him into a pit, fake his death, and sell him into slavery. Like, that was much better. And then they just told his father that he died, breaking his father's heart. Joseph started having some major problems. Because not only was he sold into slavery, but while he was in slavery... He was accused of rape and then cast into prison. And I think if this was you or I, I would say that we might have given up on those dreams by then. By the time that we were thrown into the pit and sold into slavery, I can imagine being held off and walked off uh, by these uh, uh, traitors that I would have this thought that says, God, I thought I was going to be number two. What's going on? This is like the exact opposite. Instead of being elevated high, you're breaking me down low. And Joseph went from one bad situation to another. And I think if this was us, we wouldn't be feeling high and mighty and full of hope and faith. We'd be just in survival mode. How am I going to survive today? 
And I think some of us are even in that position today. We feel trapped in kind of our own slavery, in our own prison. We're in survival mode today. We're literally just trying to figure out where we're going to eat, where we're going to sleep, how we're going to pay the bills. Just trying to figure out how today, God, am I going to stay alive? And when you're in that moment where you feel like you're in survival mode, you feel abandoned by God. And you worry that tomorrow is going to bring more hardship than anything else. And if tomorrow is going to be good at all, then I'm going to have to figure out how to do this thing on my own. Because obviously God is not paying attention. But Joseph's story was a little different. See, in every situation Joseph found himself in, he made the choice to honor the Lord and stay faithful. And God blessed him. In every situation, he was sold into slavery, and he honored his master, and his master elevated him just prior to the point of his wife accusing him of attempted rape. When Joseph was thrown into the jail, he honored God. He stayed faithful, and the jailer elevated him to a place of honor within the jail. And even to the point that uh, two of the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, two of his servants were cast into the very same prison, and while they were in there, the, the two servants had dreams themselves, and they didn't know what these dreams meant. And they were having a conversation with Joseph one day, and God gave him the ability to interpret these dreams. So God gave him favor with this spiritual gifting, and he was able to minister to those two servants. And come to find out, those dreams revealed that both of them would be set free. One would end up losing his life, but the other one would maintain his position within the kingdom of the Egyptian pharaoh. And I can imagine that as those servants were set free, Joseph was probably thinking, okay, now's my chance. These guys have prominence, they have authority, that they're going to get me out. They're going to remember what I did for them, and they're going to get me out. But the exact opposite happened. The servants forgot about Joseph and left him to rot in prison for years. And in that situation, I can only imagine, again, what was going through Joseph's mind wasting away in that prison. I can think to myself, and imagine how close he got to giving up on those dreams because every time it looked like he maybe had a chance for things to turn around, something worse would happen. I mean, think about this. His dream was that he'd be in command of all of Egypt, of the most powerful land in the nation, but yet he was in prison accused of sexual assault. This would be equivalent of somebody today knowing that we know of someone today sitting in prison accused of criminal sexual conduct getting set free and elevated to the vice presidency of the United States of America. Not going to happen, right? Not, they barely want Trump because he maybe had a conversation with Russia, right? This, this situation is not going to happen. The world would never let this happen in our lifetime. And the same is true in this lifetime. The chances of Joseph having to uh, go through all this and then be elevated to what God said would happen is a near impossibility. Virtually impossible. Mostly improbable. But yet we know the story. One day, Pharaoh has a dream, and nobody can interpret it. But it just so happens one of the servants Joseph helped heard the Pharaoh's plight and told the Pharaoh about a guy he met in prison who could interpret dreams. And Pharaoh summoned Joseph and told Joseph uh, the dream. And Joseph interpreted the dream and said, Pharaoh, there's a great famine coming on the land, and if you don't do something about it, the whole nation, the whole country, your kingdom, everything you survey is going to be destroyed. It's going to be laid waste to. And Pharaoh was so impressed with Joseph that he set him free and made him number two in command of all of Egypt. Made him the second in command. They were the only person higher than Joseph was the Pharaoh himself. You see, church, what is impossible with men is more than possible with our God. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul the Apostle says to the church of Ephesus, Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. I'm going to read that again because someone in here needs to hear this. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. What this means is that you need to think about the craziest scenario that your brain can come up with. Matter of fact, get the smartest people in the world, everyone who writes all the science books and all, all the medical books and all the things that we study through in school, get all the smartest people in the world, get them to think of the craziest scenario for God. And guess what? God can do infinitely more than even what they could possibly ask or think. God is beyond our comprehension which is why even at the lowest point 
when Joseph felt forgotten by everyone, he could still have hope for tomorrow and trust God would not go back on his word, and that God's word was true, that he could trust it with his whole heart. Because in God's perfect timing, the revelation of that dream would come to pass. And the dream where Joseph's family would bow down to him did come to pass. It came to pass one day. And I think about the dreams that God has placed in my heart. And right now, I challenge you to think about the dreams God has placed in your heart. Maybe they were dreams from a young age, things that you wished you could have aspired to do. Or maybe they're just burdens you have heavy on your heart right now, things you've been praying for for a very long time. Dreams about your career, your family, your marriage, dreams about your life. Maybe you're here today and your marriage is falling apart and you just dream about and you're praying about the day that it gets itself worked out and gets better again. Maybe you're struggling financially and you just dream about the day you get breathing room back in your finances. Maybe you've got someone in your family or someone close to you you know is far from God and you're just dreaming about the day they accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I have to ask this question today. Have you given up? on your dreams? Have you given up? Have you lost hope on your dreams? If so, why? What made you lose that hope in that dream? Was it something someone said to discourage you? Was it something someone did to you and hurt you? Was it something that you did that took you off course for a moment? Maybe It just has been so long since you began to pray for this burden that you feel like maybe God has forgotten about you or that that nothing is ever going to come to pass. I can imagine as Joseph was just sitting there uh, in the jail going from the pit to being a slave to now being in jail that he had to have thought at some point, there goes my dreams. How could it ever happen? Look at me. Look at my situation. How is God ever going to turn this around? The beautiful thing about Joseph's story is that God was with him every step of the way. God was with him every single step of the way. And God took all the messy situations in his life and used them to shape the path that he was leading him on for those dreams to come to pass. You see, our problems seem so big so strong and so mighty. Our issues seem so impossible to get past. Our dreams seem so afar off, but yet God has not abandoned us in the waiting. Even when it feels like we're going from one bad situation to a worse situation, God has promised to never leave us or forsake us. One of the things I'm learning right now is I get too stressed out about things I can't control. I have any witnesses in here? Anybody else feeling the same thing? I get too stressed out about things that are out of my control. I mean, think about Joseph. Could he control being thrown into the pit? No. Could he control being sold into slavery? No. Could he control being accused of rape? No. Could he control being thrown into prison? No. So what good it would have been for him to worry about any of those situations. They were out of his control. It would have done him no good to worry about things that were not in his control. And for you and I, and the same as Joseph, the reality is the future is such a thing that is outside of our control. We can plan all we want for things that we want to see happen in the future. We can worry all we want to about things that we're afraid of in the future, but the truth is the future is not in our control. In James chapter 4, 13 through 17, James says this to the church. He says, look here. You who say today or tomorrow we're going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We'll do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. What you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you're boasting about your own pretentious plans and all such boasting is evil. There is a demonic arrogance that we take on when we think that the future is in our control, that we can somehow control the future and control what tomorrow may bring. The truth is the future is not certain, but it is certainly not in our control. Tomorrow is in the hands of the Lord. 
And when we try to control tomorrow, all what ends up happening is we end up worrying about the very things we cannot control. See, Joseph, in order to be able to be faithful day by day in every situation he found himself in, he had to surrender his future to God the same as you and I do. And there is someone here today who is constantly fretting over your tomorrow. You're constantly worried about what tomorrow is going to bring. And today, when we open this altar for prayer, you need to get on your face before God and surrender your future to him and place it back in its rightful place in his hands. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul tells the church of Philippi, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and then thank him for all he's done. You see, if I have a bill due and I worry about it, Worrying about a bill becoming due doesn't change the fact that the bill is going to be due when it's due. If I worry about getting sick, worrying about getting sick is not going to change the fact that I get sick when I get sick if I get sick. If, if I have a test coming up in school, worrying about the test is not going to change the fact that I'm going to have to take the test when I have to take the test. Worrying accomplishes nothing, but all worrying about stuff we can't control does is that it gets us focused on what we don't want to mess up or lose. And if you know human nature, typically when we focus on what we don't want to mess up or lose, we end up doing something to mess up or lose what we don't want to mess up or lose in the first place. You know what I'm saying? If you've been there, you've done that. Uh, a long time ago, or several years ago, I was playing in a band, and we were in this coffee shop called The New Brew. Again, the new brew. It gives it importance. Uh, and at the new brew, we were playing uh, to a bunch of friends of ours in college. And uh, it was one of the first couple of concerts that my band had, had put together. And, uh, um, you know, we had a big crowd there. Everybody was, was excited, you know, yelling, screaming, clapping. It was a lot of good fun. And during one of our songs, I thought, you know, hey, I'm pretty cool. I'm going to go out and play in the audience. And so I hopped down off the stage. And the stage was only one step. So we're talking like six to nine inches. Not a big deal. Hop down, and I'm playing on the stage thinking, man, I'm super cool. Look at this. You know, this is awesome. People are, are getting into it. Yeah, yeah, you know, and having a lot of fun. But we got to the point of the song where I knew I was going to have to go back on stage because I had a background part to sing in the microphone. So I turned around, and instantly when I saw the stage, I thought to myself, and again, this is like a split second. So I'm having this hour, seems like an hour-long conversation, but it was like super fast. But I, I think to myself, do not trip on that step. Whatever you do, do not trip on this step. You're in front of all your friends. Everything's going great. Do not do that. So I have this idea. I was like, okay, when I get close to the step, I'm just going to jump up and then land on the step to make sure I have plenty of clearance. That way I don't fall. So I start skipping up to the step, and I give myself a little hop, and my foot doesn't touch the step. My toe barely hits the edge of the step, slips down, and I begin to crash face forward towards the stage. And if I hadn't been, like, thinking quickly, which I was, and my Jedi reflexes didn't uh, kick in, which they did, thankful, I twisted my hips fast enough to where I landed on my back, and I kept playing and tried to push it off like I meant to do that. But everyone in the audience knew otherwise and were laughing at me for weeks to come. So, But that's the thing. When we focus, when we focus on not messing up or losing things, so much so, we end up doing stuff that causes us to mess up or lose what we don't want to mess up or lose in the first place. And I heard it said one time that if you worry, all you're doing is you're assuming responsibility God never intended for you to have. When you worry about life, when you worry about your future, you're assuming responsibility God never intended for you to have. Worrying about tomorrow creates all kinds of issues and struggles because you're trying to do the very job that only God can do. It's in his hands. In Matthew chapter 6, 34, Jesus says, So don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Jesus is telling us that tomorrow is in the hands of the Lord. So leave it there. Leave it there. Don't worry about it. Focus on today. Be here in this moment. Worry about today because today is actually something you can do something about. Today is something you can actually do something about. And that should bring us hope. 
to know that if God placed a call on your life, if God put a dream or a vision, spoke a vision over your life, you are not responsible for the revelation of that future vision. You are responsible for taking each step day by day toward what is God is calling you to do, choosing to be faithful day by day. It's when we start to get worried about things that haven't even happened yet that we begin to veer off the path for fear of the future as we try to control the outcomes of our decisions. And we create problems and distractions and even more messes for God to clean up. I'm so glad we serve a God that specializes in cleaning up messes because this affects each and every one of us. First Peter 5, chapter, verse 5 no, chapter 5, verse 10, sorry, says, In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, strengthen you, and will place you on a firm foundation. See, even when we make mistakes, when we experience life and it doesn't go the way that we've planned, even when we wake up to trials and tribulations that we didn't see coming, where life seems like if it's going to continue like this, there is no hope for these dreams to come to pass. I should just give up all hope today. God is still with us in the midst of that, guiding us toward the fulfillment of the call that he's placed on our lives. See, it's so easy to get overwhelmed, especially with past mistakes, to feel that guilt and shame, to let that haunt you. It's easy to let past Failures define your future. It's easy to let your current circumstances even set the level at which you are able to hope or feel you are able to hope, even rob you of your hope. But what Peter said to us here is that God uses those painful seasons in our life for our good. And that after a brief moment of trial, of suffering, he promises to restore, to support, to strengthen, and place you back on good footing, anchored in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Paul said to the church of Philippi in chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, this is our key verse today. This is what I want you to meditate on this week, especially those of you that are, are struggling with things to come. Verse 13, Paul says this. He says, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. I press on. I focus toward the prize. See, there is a prize at the end of the race. There is a prize at the end of the struggle. There is a prize at the end of the trouble. Paul, he wasn't perfect. He made lots of mistakes. He committed horrible sins. And if you had to ask him, he would say he's the chief of all sinners, that he's the worst. But that didn't steal his hope because he wasn't focusing on the negativity of his circumstances. He wasn't trying to take control of things that were not as in control like his future and trying to force them to work out for his good. No, Paul, in all of his situations, every time he was beaten an inch of his life, every time he was, he was cast aside, every time he was rejected, he remained faithfully obedient in the moment because the prize was in mind, knowing that every day God was leading him toward the fulfillment of the dream, of the vision, of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And in view of the destination, a view of that prize that he had in focus, he focused on his leg of the journey today and kept moving forward. When I think of staying focused, I think of when I was younger and I used to take martial arts. I uh, only did it for about six months, so I'm not a ninja or anything. But uh, I remember when we started ta I started taking martial arts that uh, the sensei or the teacher was wanting to teach us how to do some kicks. But before we could do the kicks, we had to have some balance. And I am not athletic at all. I, do not ask me to play on your sports team because I am not that great. But uh, uh, when uh, he started to work with us, he started to work on balance. And he, all he wanted us to do, he gave us one simple command, and that was stand on one leg like this. I can barely do it right now. So stand on one leg. Right, and, and I'm trying to stand, and I'm all wobbly and, and tumbling, and I couldn't, like, stand up. I'm just, like, holding my leg up, and everyone else looking around, everyone else is falling down, too. I'm trying my other leg, too, and that's, that's even worse than on this one. But uh, we're trying to stand on one leg, and as we're looking around at everybody, we're falling and hobbling around. We feel like at any moment we're going to collapse, 
And this is what I feel like it's like in this Christian life. See, God has given us a simple command. Trust and obey. Just trust me and be faithful. Stand your ground. Stand on your leg. But what happens in our lives is we let things distract us. We let things grab our attention like the circumstances of yesterday, things that we've made mistakes with in the past, things that we're worried about or, or worries of the future and trials for the future or things that, that are happening today that are out of our control. And all these things are swirling around in our lives, grabbing for our attention, and it's causing us to wobble and, and feel like at any moment we're going to collapse. And you know what? Sometimes we do. Sometimes we collapse and we say, you know what? Not today. I'm not doing it today. I'm going to choose what I think is going to make me feel good today. And we just say, you know what, God? I can't do it. I can't do it. I cannot do it today. And as we're taking class and the teacher's seeing us wobble and tumble and can't even stand up on one leg, he gives us another instruction. He says, all right, guys, this is what I want you to do. Instead of looking around the room and all these different things and comparing yourself to other people and and trying, being worried about how you're doing versus everyone else. I just want you to look straight ahead. Focus on one point on the wall. Keep your head still. Don't let your head move. And then raise your leg. And believe it or not, when you stay focused, everything comes into alignment. And even when you feel like you're going to tumble, you're a lot steadier. You're a lot stronger because you're focused on one thing. Straight ahead. And this is what Paul is telling us in life. We can let worries grab for our attention. We can let worries bog us down and make us feel like we're going to wobble and tumble. But Paul is telling us to fix your eyes forward. Fix your eyes on the prize. Trust in the Lord and fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't worry about what may come tomorrow. Don't worry about the problems that were yesterday. Forget what's behind. Forget the things that are outside of your control and fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on the calling he's placed on your life, on the dream that he's spoken over you. Don't get caught up with what you did yesterday or the worries of tomorrow. If you fell yesterday, then pick yourself back up today. Focus straight ahead. Come into alignment with the simple command to trust and obey the word of God and live well today. And when tomorrow comes, you do the same thing tomorrow that you did today. You fix your eyes on Jesus. You focus on the call he's placed on your life. You live according to his will and plan and take one step at a time. One day at a time. Psalm 37 verse 23 says, The Lord directs the steps of the godly and he delights in every detail of their lives. God is directing your steps, and he's ordered the one step after another. And our responsibility is just to follow in step with him, taking one step at a time. We can take comfort to know that God is ordering our steps. And even though we may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we can fear no evil. Why? Because God is with us, and God is leading us through the valley. He's not sending us out there alone. He's leading us through the valley. He is in front, paving the way, ordering our steps. And when we focus on Jesus, when we focus on the Lord, we're focusing on the one who is paving the way towards the abundant life he came to provide, to the blessings that he wants us to realize in this life. That means if you are praying for a good marriage, Every day that you are obedient gets you one step or one day closer to realizing that dream. If you are praying for a good job, every day you are obedient. You are one step closer to that dream. Every day you're praying for that loved one who is far from God that you are just hoping, trust in Jesus Christ and gets to go to heaven one day and has a life transformation encounter with God. Every day you are obedient gets you one step closer to that dream as you follow one step after the next, being faithful one day after another. You see, the beauty of taking one step at a time, one day at a time, is that one step turns into a lifetime of steps. One day turns into a lifetime of days. One victory turns into a lifetime of victories. And when we wake up intentionally every day and say, today I'm fixing 
my eyes on the Lord. I'm locking in. I'm coming into alignment. I'm going to stay focused. I'm going to stand trusting. I'm committing to be obedient. Then our present one day becomes our future. And our dreams one day become our reality, the reality of the blessings God spoke over our lives even long ago. And some of you here today, you're still like Joseph. You're still waiting in the prison. You're longing to be set free. And every day in the prison, you feel that hope draining out little by little, more and more each day. Let me encourage you, church, to hang on. Don't run away from the Lord. Fix your eyes on the Lord and run to Jesus. Trust that he is with you, that he has good plans for you, and that each day leads you closer to the blessings he's prepared for your life. You see, when Joseph was set free from prison and he was elevated to that number two spot, in command of all of Egypt, he finally saw the realization of that prophecy God gave him where his family would bow down. The famine had hit the land, and he was the only person in charge of all the food. And so his family had to come from where they were staying and beg at the feet of the Egyptians to be able to get food to survive. And so that day he was confronting his brothers where they literally had to come to him for food so their family could survive. And Joseph goes out to confront his brothers. And does he, with all justification at his side, does he come out with condemnation and, and damnation and criticism? And, and does he come out screaming about, hey, you know what you did. Why should I ever even consider helping you? No. He confronts them with love and forgiveness. And this is what he says in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. You intended to harm me, brothers, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. And the challenge for us today, church, in every situ situation we face is to not worry about what you may come against. Past, present, future. Focus on your step today. Just the next step. Not five steps away. Just the next. The next thing God has for you. Don't lose hope. And don't stop walking in faith. Because God never wastes our hurt. He will not waste your situation, or your circumstance. He is going to rescue you, restore you, support you, and strengthen you. And then just as he did with Joseph, he's going to use you to provide the same saving hope to others that you have in Jesus Christ. So not only will you have a great tomorrow, but so that others may too have a great tomorrow. The core concept of this message today is this, there is hope for tomorrow because our worries are resolved by running our race well today. There is hope for tomorrow because our worries are resolved by running our race well today. You see, when we walk in step with the Lord, he has promised to be with us every step of the way. And I want to close the message today by reading a final passage of Scripture. I'm going to invite everyone to stand up with me in this place, and I would like us to read this out loud together, because I want to encourage us, especially those who you are fretting tomorrow. There are things that you're facing that you are scared of, you're worried about, things that are out of your control that is just causing you pain and anxiety. I want us to read this together, Psalm chapter 91, and let the word of the Lord encourage us today. And then when we're done, I'm going to pray. And then we're going to open up the front here for you to come down and pray on whatever is on your heart, whether it's a worry, whether it's a situation you're coming through. Maybe you have a friend or relative that's going through something. The house of the Lord shall be known as a house of prayer. Power is unleashed into the world when God's people pray. And we're going to just call down that power from heaven today. Psalm chapter 91, verse 1. And we say together, those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. 
He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor the arrows that flies in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall at your side, though ten thousand are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. Just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you, no plague will come near your home. For he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so you don't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon lions and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. Father in heaven, we just worship you in this place. God, we thank you for your promises. We thank you that you are one we can trust. God, you never fail. You never let us down. God, I pray that we would focus our eyes on Jesus, that we would focus on the prize, that our lives would come into agreement, into alignment with your word, and we would walk in step with you today. Because the things that the world would have us to worry about, God, they are safe in your hands. And today, God, we just commit as a church to walking in step with you, one step at a time, one day at a time. And we know that if we stay in the center of your will and your blessings, you will elevate us to a place of honor when the time comes. God, we thank you for your love and goodness today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now's the time. If you have something laid on your heart, you come on and pray. If you need prayer, I'm going to be down here available to pray with you. If there's someone here today that has never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as we spoke before, if you do not know that if you were to die today, that you would spend eternity with God forever and forever, I would love the opportunity to introduce to you the Savior of the world. You just leave your seat right now. Come on. There's no, there's no need to, to delay. You come right now. Whatever is on your heart.